Tony, you've written a lot on orphan care. You speak all over the country on, on orphan care, and you've adopted uh, five children. Tell us why you adopted those children. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I'll ask myself that every day. Um, so yeah, that's the most common question I get when I tell people this is, uh, or they when they when they hear that I have kids or they see them, why did you do this? They assume most people assume infertility is is the primary reason, um, and we we tell people, hey, we adopted children because of theology, not biology. Um, the fact the fact is, we didn't know if we could have kids or not. We'd been married about four years, and um, we we hadn't got pregnant yet, um, but what drove us to adoption um, it was basically seeing God as an adoptive father. I was asked to speak uh, to a, at a youth camp on the poor, and as I studied the Bible, looked at statistics, uh, and I was telling these students and adults all week, hey, you need to care for orphans, I got convicted by my own preaching because I couldn't name an orphan. And I began to see in the Bible that true religion is, is caring for orphans in their affliction. And I began to think, you know, I, I think I've assessed spiritual maturity um, inaccurately. I, I can name a lot of authors, a lot of books. I knew famous people in the Christian world, but I, I didn't know an orphan. And um, I, was really, I was really bothered by that, provoked by that. So I wanted to do something. And uh, since we hadn't had children, I asked my wife if she would consider adoption. Uh, it took her a little while. Um, she was a little while behind me, but eventually she said, you know, yeah. So really it was just what I was seeing in the scriptures that uh, we have been adopted by God. God tells us to imitate him. And I take that to mean we, we imitate his adopting love uh, to a world in need. You were listening to Tony Morita. Some of you may remember listening to Tony a few short weeks ago as we discussed the topic of faith and ministry. And although he's not our guest this week, he is intimately connected to the topic we're going to discuss because Tony and his wife Kim have adopted five kids internationally. You guessed it, the topic today is orphan care and adoption. It is estimated that 153 million children worldwide are orphans, and every year over 23,000 children age out of foster care and are left without families of their own. If this wasn't alarming enough, Research also shows that international adoptions have declined significantly in the last 15 years or so. For Christians, these statistics should shock us and provoke us to do something about it, not only because it's a humanitarian or social justice issue, but also because orphan care and adoption are central themes in the gospel that we are called to embody as believers. Tony briefly gave a few answers to this question, but we should ask ourselves if and why we should be involved in orphan care is it more than any other ministry? And what does the Bible have to say about it? The Bible actually has quite a bit to say about adoption, orphans, and single mothers. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says to his followers before he ascends to heaven, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And as Christians, we have received adoption into the family of God so that we, who were once spiritual orphans, now receive the Father as our own. This beautiful reality is central to the Gospel. But we often fail to understand the implications for this truth in the real world. We don't apply the gospel truth that we have been adopted to the world around that is full of orphans and widows. But the Bible doesn't leave it up for debate. James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We are specifically commanded to love and care for orphans and widows 
just as we have been cared for, rescued, and redeemed in Christ. And that's why I'm excited to introduce the Executive Director of 127 Worldwide and our guest on Christians You Should Know, Sarah Beth Ventress. Sarah Beth serves an amazing organization founded on the mission to give to orphans what is found in James 127. Let's dive in and meet this woman at the forefront of caring for the vulnerable through orphan care, adoptions, and other related ministries. Sarah Beth, what did you have for breakfast this morning? <laughs> well, it's Tuesdays are a little bit of a crazy day. So as I was running out the door, I grabbed a Trader Joe's granola bar and a Capri Sun out of the fridge. So not nutritious, but it was okay. <laughs> I love Capri Sun. <laughs> I haven't had a Capri Sun in a long time. Hey, it I... takes me back to the good old days, like, like summer with Capri Sun at the pool. That's how how you roll. (laughs) So uh, let's talk about you. You're a Kentucky girl. That's I know that's one of your self-identifying characteristics. Born and raised. Go Big Blue. Although this season, there's not as much to cheer about. (laughs) I know. I'm a Tar Heel fan. I don't have much to even brag about or talk about right now. So we can find common ground that we both hate Duke. There you go. That's true. That's true. That's good common ground. So for those of you people who don't know you, people listening, um, you get to serve as executive director as 127 Worldwide. Mm -hmm. Um, But how did you get there? Let's start before you got (laughs) to 127. How did Sarah Beth become who Sarah Beth is today? Yeah. So I um, grew up in a Southern Baptist church, Southern Baptist um, college and seminary, and really went to seminary to be a counselor. Um, I loved, I've always loved to travel. I love sports. Um, I loved, you know, sharing the gospel. And so while I was in seminary there was a ministry that was a sports ministry that helped missionaries and I really just thought this is where I'll grow old like it was so many of my passions tied together um, into one job it was basically like a 10 year long internship (laughs) and so through that um, working with the sports ministry I um started to be a pen pal with a lady in Kenya and she wanted us to bring soccer balls. She was starting a school in Kenya and wanted us to bring sports equipment and just come and teach her kids how to play sports. And God really used that trip to kind of shift the trajectory of my life to, um, work with local people. This lady was um, Kenyan. She knew the culture, the language, and just had a vision and a heart to help children in her community, just vulnerable people. And um, as the camps were going on, I just began to realize these kids don't need soccer knowledge and soccer equipment. They need, you know, the necessities of life, food, housing, shelter, things like that. So um, just working with locals is kind of a new idea for me that it's spurred out of um, ministry. So what I love to tell people is if you just kind of take a step of obedience to what God is calling you to do, he'll lead you to um, the next thing that he wants you to do. And just kind of it's one step of obedience at a time. Wow. So now that step of obedience, you're now at 127 Worldwide. 
Yeah. So tell us about 127. So I met that lady in 2007, um, the Kenyan lady, and that God just really began to stir this passion in my heart to work with local people from uh, the friendship that I developed with her. And so it was a long, uh, several years in the making. 127 actually started in 2011. And so this year we're celebrating our 10th year of ministry. And I'm so happy to say that a lot of what um, God was stirring in my heart those years ago is what we do now. So we work with local leaders who are in Kenya, Uganda, and Guatemala. They already have their own ministries, their own um, vision and passion from God, a calling. And we just get to walk alongside of them, connecting them and equipping them to do what God's called them to do. So it's a really unique ministry. Uh, I believe that um, I, even as I'm talking about now, I'm just kind of standing in awe that God has allowed me to be a part of something, um, you know, for so long. So it's just been such a blessing. What a testimony to God's sovereignty and his plan for Sarah Beth and this amazing ministry. Ten years later, 127 Worldwide has become an international ministry accomplishing the very things the Lord placed on Sarah Beth's heart years ago. Let's hear more of what she has to say about some of the practical realities of orphan care and the orphan crisis that if you're like me, you had no idea about. So when we think about orphan care mm-hmm. and what you do, you know, there's when I first found out, I was like, wait a second, there's orphans who are unadoptable. There's orphans who aren't being adopted. So tell us a little about the orphan crisis as a whole and why you need to exist. <laughs> Yeah, so we actually have, have kind of shifted away from the even the word orphan. Um, international adoption is way uh, down. It's, it's on the decrease even before COVID. And so, um, you know, years ago, we realized there are a lot of children who are not ever going to be adopted because of government regulations, um, just the cost. I mean, I feel like there are lots of hindrances to people being willing to adopt from other countries sometimes. And so it was kind of a, what are we going to do with these other children? And in some places, the stats are as high as 95% of vulnerable children in the world who need a family are not adoptable. And so while uh, adoption and foster care are great, and I always condone, I have tons of families, friends who have adopted and who are foster parents. And so I'm not saying anything bad about that, obviously, but there is another side to the story and there are other things that need to be done. And I'll just add one more thing. 127 is actually, um, I would say even on the cutting edge of what we in our field, it's called orphan prevention. And so it's even taking a step ahead of like, looking at this generation, what are some of the things causing children to not have families to live in? And how can we work upstream and, and prevent some of those? Um, Not that we're the hero of the story, but working with local people who are kind of thinking ahead, how can we break the cycle of poverty for the next generation? And that's really what energizes me is just kind of working upstream and working towards prevention. So you you use the word saying we're not really using the word orphan anymore. (laughs) What's the new word? (laughs) Well, we kind of just lumped... um, you know, our the ministry is named after James 127, taking care of orphans and widows. And then um, we kind of added vulnerable communities. And so we use the word vulnerable, I would say, in, as an exchange. It was actually a couple of years ago, I would say 127 was maybe seven years old. And we realized we actually don't do direct orphan care. We empower local leaders who are helping vulnerable people. But even all of those vulnerable people aren't orphans. And so we still think it's the premise of James 127 of caring for people less fortunate than us. Um, 
you know, financially less fortunate and then working through what does that look like um, and, and how does that work for Christians in America who can um, use their gifts and talents and also not only are we giving to these people, we're also receiving. And, and what do, what are they providing with us? Um, different perspectives on um, spirituality and, you know, just conversations as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not just this one-way street of us giving things that our friends in Kenya and, and Uganda and Guatemala need. It's a mutually beneficial relationship. And I think this idea of discipleship, um, it's not just about helping them materially. It, it's about working together um, and this mutually beneficial relationship where, um, and Dan's gonna have to edit some of this out, but just this idea of, um, it's not just us who are providing the goods and services. It, it goes both ways. So let's think about the word vulnerable. When I hear the word vulnerable, the first word I think of is risk, meaning that mm-hmm. someone's vulnerable. They're at risk to lose something. They're mm-hmm. at least mostly lose everything. Um, they're in a vulnerable position. So mm-hmm. what are some of the things you did? You were, you were teasing it out just a minute ago. Some <laughs> of the things that you guys do to train um, these vulnerable yeah. people to, to, to break tradition with what's been a generational thing. Yeah. So it depends on, again, the local leader that we work with. It looks very different if you're in the slums of Nairobi versus out in the villages in northern Uganda. And so just in a, as an example, kind of a surprise success that we've had from my perspective is this idea of agricultural sustainability. And so, you know, um, the story of Jay from our church who, um, a gifted pig farmer from North Carolina who'd never been overseas before. (laughs) And um, Jeffrey, one of our leaders from Northern Uganda came and said, uh, he was in a small group and he said, you know, it's great if you're a pastor or worship leader, you're, you're welcome to come to Uganda. But what I really need right now is somebody who knows about pig farming. And in our small group, um, living room there's a family there who spent 20 years raising pigs and even further god was stirring in their heart how can um, i take my passion for agriculture and pig farming and use it in ministry and so i kind of just get to be the conduit connecting those two people and then watching what god does as five years later there are 12 families in northern uganda who are raising pigs and providing for their kids to go to school without having to send their kids to a home because they now have sustainable income. And so I think while that necessarily wasn't on my radar specifically, this idea of connecting people from the very beginning was. And that really is one of my giftings is I love networking. I love just hearing, how's God working in you? How has he gifted you? And who do I know that might could benefit from that? And so I think that's something in the church we don't actually do enough of living in community, of figuring out how... God is stirring in other people and how we might be able to serve as that network and connector. And I think that's really one of the the bread and butters of 127 is our network of people. So let's talk about that network. You got, you, know, you give the illustration of a farmer in this case, mm-hmm. what are the other networks um, and how does the different roles they play and how do you network with these different people and not even just Africa. I know you have other countries that you work with as well. Yeah. Um, we, ha- we've done some work in Haiti and Honduras and, Um, Currently, we're in Kenya, Uganda, and Guatemala. So, um, yeah, I mean, the the network of people, I would say, one, it came from the people that have been on on projects with us. So that's one way you can get involved. I know that's probably an upcoming question. (laughs) And again, it's not your typical, let's go on a mission trip and paint a wall and take pictures of us and like we're the heroes of the story. 
a lot of our mission teams go and observe what is happening the other 51 weeks of the year when we're not there because you know each partner has their own staff their own ministry that they're doing they're not just waiting for us to come in to do ministry and so um, through that we have a trade school where we've had businessmen come and talk about um, how to make a resume how to do interview skills um, we've had accountants doctors we've done some medical not just medical teams but like partnering with um, Kenyan medical personnel and doing a clinic in the community to build rapport for the the local leader um, in Uganda or in Guatemala we work with a pastor who planted a church in a vulnerable community mostly of single women who have children, their husbands have left Guatemala to come to America, and then a lot of times they don't come back. And so we've had women go there and lead Bible studies who are you know, married women talking about difficulties in marriage or single parents who talk about difficulties in parenting. So again, it's like, how has God gifted you or what trials and challenges has God brought you through? And you can use that to, to teach or to learn from other people. And again, it's just part of that, like being vulnerable and connecting with other people and um, using your experience to um, grow and grow someone else's relationship in the Lord. So when I hear you say mission trips, you know, you're so much different than an average church mission trip. And as I think about um, going on a ton of mission trips, I'm a PK. So, you know, if there was a mission trip, I was probably on it um, going with our church. And while they're effective, uh, they're not as effective as they could be. And um, I instead hear you doing something completely different. You're actually equipping local leaders to be self-sufficient. So really, mission trips over time become no longer needed. That's the goal. We want to work ourselves out of a job. What a gospel-centered perspective Sarah Beth has for 127 Worldwide and its mission. Success for this ministry is not just getting a bunch of kids to go on mission trips or donate money. The ultimate goal is to train local leaders to minister to these vulnerable communities so they become a permanent gospel presence of salt and light that can minister to their own people in their own context. It sounds like Sarah Beth is saying that 127 Worldwide exists to meet a crucial need and they won't stop until they're out of a job because by the grace of God and the participation of individuals like you and me, these needs are met. Let's jump back in and find out how the church can do a better job of supporting this ministry and getting involved in combating the orphan crisis. Yeah, that's the goal is we want to work ourselves out of a job across the board. Um, I think we actually, we kind of changed the terminology to call them go teams now because we wanted to kind of get rid of that stereotypical Mm -hmm. mission trip and this idea of a lot of our work needs to happen discipling Christian Americans before they go Um, on, you know, we're not the hero of the story. I feel like there's some things I kind of get on a soapbox that I'll I'll try to navigate (laughs) away from during this, but um, just kind of challenging people to think through. um, We're not just going to um, what, what, what can this trip do for my relationship with the Lord and, and make it all about what I can contribute. It really is. How can I learn about what Peter's doing in Nairobi, know how to pray for him more specifically, learn who's on his staff, get to know them, um, meet Peter's family. It's a it's a long term relationship. So I think a lot of that networking, connecting I was talking about before, it is kind of facilitating a long term partnership and relationship. It's not just a splash in the pan and then we're going to go somewhere else and try to do something different. Uh, We want to go deep with a few people that 
the partnerships that we have and then kind of see how God continues to open doors and network from there. So we, we, we touched on just briefly the church. How can the church do a better job of helping people just like you? And what are some of the things that you see as Christians are listening to this and they're saying, all right, the, there's so much that I believe that the average person listening didn't know that this is actually possible, that, that mm-hmm. you can do something with orphans other than adopt them. Um, you can actually train them, teach them, give them a job. It was, it was uh, a shift for me um, when I met you. And mm-hmm. so how can the church do a better job of equipping people and informing people of the crisis of vulnerable people that's going mm-hmm. on, but also ways to interact and support you, people just like you? Yeah. So our best um, advocates are just word of mouth. So people that have experienced um, things that 127 has to offer. I I feel like um, we're actually looking to partner and network with new churches in 2021. And it it comes from this. uh, Even this week, I got an email from a pastor, like, aside from giving money, how can I help with what you guys are doing? And so there is this piece of advocacy. Like once you know and see what's going on or you hear um, from one of our partners, you have this... um, just more a, a relational tie to caring about what's happening in Africa instead of just like, oh, those poor people in Africa, they, they're real people. They have names and faces and, and just helping making that connection. Um, we also have just ways that people can join us. We have a prayer, um, a monthly prayer update that you can just get an email, just an easy way of specific ways you can be praying for our partners. Um, we're working on this equip plan. So educating Americans before they go similar to like when helping hurts or some other books that we would recommend people to read before you travel to the third world. There's just a, a difference in mindset and culture and just being sensitive to um, not only to the needs of other people, but just how to relate to other people better. And so there is this just kind of humility of um, before I go to Kenya or Uganda or Guatemala, how how does God want to change and shape my perspective before we go? And I feel like a lot of churches don't really, they kind of skip that process and just go straight from the pew to the airplane and they're not ready for um, all the things that are happening on that first few days of the trip. So um, I feel like there are a lot of different ways people can join us. Um, Specifically, I can definitely leave you my contact information if anybody is interested in learning more about that. But it's, it's, of course, financial um, assistance definitely helps, but it is more than just helping financially. So it, there's a couple of things that I've gleaned from just listening to you. <laughs> One, the orphan crisis is, is first, you know, it, it is a crisis, but there's several, several things. I think there's a financial implication. There's mm-hmm. also a theological issue mm-hmm. that there's, there's a theological gap between people's understanding. If there wasn't, then we wouldn't have this problem. Yep. Um, and so how do you think the gospel, and you, you mentioned James 127 earlier, <laughs> um, speaks into this? And how yeah. do we think about this as Christians biblically? Yeah, so one of our distinctives at 127 is just that we want the gospel to be central in everything that we do and caring for the vulnerable. And I think that is a step that people kind of miss out on, especially in our world today where um, if you talk about justice, people kind of tag social justice onto that in a lot of the circles that we operate in, that's a negative thing. <laughs> but for me, I feel like there it's really hard to distinguish a difference between biblical justice and social justice, because what Jesus did, it, it wasn't just for the social aspect of it. He, um, our, one of our partners, Peter says, we meet temporary needs in order to share eternal truth. Wow. And so if we're having a feeding program, it's 
to keep people alive long enough to hear the gospel. That's really the purpose of what we want to do. If we just keep people alive with food and don't share the gospel, they're not really any better off, you know, six months from now as they were today. And so, um, and actually now that you mentioned that our, I have a podcast, um, and this whole season we're talking about how gospel, how the gospel relates to caring for the vulnerable. It's been really interesting to see just from like several different takes of there is a theology of orphan care, a theology of justice, a theology of caring for the vulnerable. And that's so easy sometimes to, I wouldn't say just overlook it, but you get so bombarded with the urgent needs that are physical and tangible that sometimes they seem more important than this overarching, you know, we all are experiencing poverty because um, we're all orphans and and God, uh, the demonstration of what God did for us through sending his son, it really is a picture of not only adoption, but of orphan care, of caring for the vulnerable. And um, not that we just do it to have a, a, a story that fits with the image, but just to always keep that in the front and center of what we do, I think. Um, it's really hard when every day it kind of looks like what's the most urgent thing we can do today (laughs) and kind of shifting away from that. What a profound way of understanding the relationship between meeting earthly and spiritual needs. Let's listen to that one more time. One of our partners, Peter, says we meet temporary needs in order to share eternal truth. And so if we're having a feeding program, it's to keep people alive long enough to hear the gospel. That's really the purpose of what we want to do. If we just keep people alive with food and don't share the gospel, they're not really any better off, you know, six months from now as they were today. And so, um, and actually now that you mentioned that our, I have a podcast um, and this whole season we're talking about how gospel, how the gospel relates to caring for the vulnerable it's been really interesting to see just from like several different takes of there is a theology of orphan care, a theology of justice, a theology of caring for the vulnerable. And that's so easy sometimes to, I wouldn't say just overlook it, but you get so bombarded with the urgent needs that are physical and tangible that sometimes they seem more important than this overarching, you know, we all are experiencing poverty because um, we're all orphans and, and God Uh, the demonstration of what God did for us through sending his son, it really is a picture of not only adoption, but of orphan care, of caring for the vulnerable. And um, not that we just do it to have a a story that fits with the image, but just to always keep that in the front and center of what we do. I think um, it's really hard when every day it kind of looks like what's the most urgent thing we can do today (laughs) and kind of shifting away from that. I love how Sarah Beth reminds us of the gospel and the importance of the theology behind serving others and ministering to those that are vulnerable. Here's a brief clip of pastor and author Mike McKinley on how we should understand the relationship of social justice to the gospel. The mission of the church is to spread the gospel. So, um, you know, I didn't make this up, but I think you could summarize the mission of the church as uh, make disciples, baptizing them, and uh, in, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, just spitballing some ideas here, and uh, teaching them to do all that Christ commanded uh, and to obey uh, all that he commanded. So uh, I think that's a pretty good summary of the mission of the church. So no other institution on earth is commissioned to do that work particularly. So does that mean the church shouldn't be engaged in social justice? Um, yes and no. I think that um, because part of what doing all that Christ commanded us to do means 
uh, loving our neighbor. It means doing good to the person in front of you. Uh, it means sort of receiving God's undeserved kindness and being a conduit of it to others. There will be opportunities and um, occasions where, yeah, we ought to be concerned about social justice. We ought to be concerned about um, caring for our neighbors and things like that. But it's always done with an eye towards that larger uh, purpose of spreading the gospel. So um, in some ways, it depends on context. So what that looks like. So in, uh, for example, in, uh, in Scotland, um, the, the poor there are fed well by the government. So um, there's really not much of a need for the church to provide food for the poor. Uh, in my context, a lot of Latin American immigrants uh, in our community lack food um, for sort of, and daily necessities. And so part of our gospel proclamation and witness means that we uh, help provide uh, food to needy people uh, as we're building a relationship with them and sharing the gospel with them. So, um, you know, it's, it's too easy to say it, it always looks like this or it can't look like that. But if a church is... Um, investing in social justice or sort of social issues without ever getting around to explaining the gospel to people, I think we're really failing that test of love that Jesus gives us. Because what I understand what my neighbor needs most is not primarily food, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it may be that in order to meet that larger need, uh, love means um, helping and meeting those sort of more temporal needs uh, as well, but never to the exclusion of our main calling, which is to spread the gospel. This is a great reminder to serve the Lord and carry out justice, but always in the service of the gospel and never as a replacement for it. Let's get back to our interview with Sarah Beth and dive into this important passage in James. So uh, one of the things that I caught my ear whenever you were talking about um, the theological and I think gospel implication is James one twenty seven. A lot of people don't understand. You know, that, I'm going to let you quote it for us. <laughs> yeah. Um... Depending on the, the translation, it's that pure religion is taking care of orphans and widows and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so obviously a lot of our um, day in and day out goes with the, the first half of the verse, taking care of orphans, widows and, and vulnerable people. But also I think this idea of holiness kind of gets overlooked mm -hmm. through that process of um, so many times in the Bible we see this idea of like, consecrating ourselves and preparing for what God's going to do. And this, um, this idea of holiness going along with James one twenty seven is something, honestly, I, I kind of wrestled with it a few years ago. I'd need to go back and sharpen up a little bit, but this, um, just this idea of purity. And so uh, indirectly, some of our um, partners do work with, you know, if you're talking about purity in the slums of Nairobi, that can be a crazy topic <laughs> to yeah. talk about and just so countercultural and that is something that we always want to tie together. It's not just the first half of the verse. We really want to take in the whole consideration of James one twenty seven. Yeah, and, and the reason I wanted you to quote that verse is from that first phrase, pure religion. Uh, there is so much that we want to do to keep, as Americans, our church members busy and Christians busy. Um, mm -hmm. I think about, um, not that the church I grew up at was wrong, but growing up, there was so many programs and so much stuff to do at church that I didn't have time to do anything else. <laughs> and so yeah. from uh, WANAs to basketball programs to um, programs on, on concerts, all kinds of things. And so mm -hmm. um, the purity, I think, of what the gospel is and what the gospel calls us to do, what you said, I think is, is pretty amazing that we miss it. Um, <laughs> and it is, we yeah. don't, we're not practicing simple gospel 
um, implications, which is to love widows and orphans. And it's such a simple thing, but seems to be yeah. so complex uh, for a lot of churches. Yeah, that's been interesting for us. I mean, since COVID, it kind of took out a lot of our like going on projects. For example, these go teams obviously haven't been happening, but it's allowed us to re-examine like what are the core things that we want um not just to to do like you're saying but like what do we want to be known for what are some distinctives that we have and it's really just been a great time for us to reshape what if we never get to go on another trip again um, our partners are still doing the work and so we can still support and connect and equip because of technology because of the world that we live in our work continues whether we physically ever get to go um, you know be in the same country as our partners again so that's just been a real neat time for us to kind of reevaluate. One question I really wanted to ask Sarah Beth was how the pandemic has affected their ministry. How are countries and communities that are less fortunate faring in light of COVID and everything that it has affected? Her answer is kind of surprising and very encouraging to hear how God has used 127 worldwide in the midst of a global crisis. She also tells us how you can participate and grow alongside those at 127 worldwide and stay up to date with what God is doing. Talk a little bit more about how COVID has affected you and your ministry and how I think we can think better about how to serve ministries like you during a pandemic. Yeah. It seems a pandemic that seems so selfish and (laughs) self-centered. How does it affect me? We oftentimes don't think about ministries who can't function as well as they usually could. Yeah. So our partners have really thrived um, in in the midst of the pandemic. Um, The virus hasn't spread as much in the third world. I think they did a lot better job of shutting things down. Um, my sister is a, a nurse in, in UK at, in Kentucky, and we figured out that her hospital has more ventilators than the whole country of Kenya. Oh, wow. And so they were really um, proactive to shut everything down early. The negative side to that w- would be, um, you know, people not having jobs and they're just they're mostly day laborers in the slums of Nairobi. And so they don't have jobs. They, they don't buy food for that day. And so our partners really had opportunity to not just to provide food, but um, through this idea of like meeting the temporary needs to share um, the gospel with people, to do home visits, to um, kind of check on people in their community to see how they were doing. And so the ministry did shift quite a bit because of COVID, but they actually were able to build rapport in their community, really across the board, all four partners um, kind of established themselves as we want to be a place where you can come let us know if you have trouble. We want to be that connection for you. And so we were able just to kind of stand on the outside and watch how God was using our partners. And then we check in with them, like, let us know how we can pray for you. What do you need from us? Um, you know, they knew that we couldn't come and visit and it, it didn't really matter if we were there or not. God was still at work and they were still accomplishing the work that, you know, that God had set before them to do. So I would say our ministry kind of shifted a little bit because a a part of what we did has always been going on projects. Um, But it was really neat to see this idea of like working with locals also means they're there all the time, like without any trouble, they were already present. So um, it allowed us just to kind of focus more on this training and equipping on this side of things. And so we're really excited about some things that are going to be rolling out in the next few months. called the equip plan and it's some of this preparation that I was talking about before of like how can we better prepare people before they go but even if maybe going isn't the answer for everybody maybe it's just like we need to learn more we want to know how to pray more specifically know more about 
um, this idea of like creating sustainability, not creating dependency, those kind of things. Um, it's just been a really uh, neat opportunity. That I think that God has given us this extra time this year. So in closing, let's talk about how people can be involved with 127. So you said you had a podcast. What's the name of it? It's called Simply 127. Um, and then we, this, like I said, this season, we're talking about how the gospel relates to caring for the vulnerable. And it's just been interesting to some of the, you know, there's a pastor's perspective. There's some of our local leaders have been on the podcast. And then there's also just regular everyday people who like us who are just sharing how the gospel relates to caring for the vulnerable. Um, so we can, I don't know if you have show notes, maybe we can put the link, um, Absolutely. the podcast in the show notes. Um, yeah. And then just other ways we are hoping to get back on the, this rhythm of sending people eventually, um, with go teams is what they're called. Um, basically praying, advocating for us. We want to host, um, if you had some, just some people would come to your house and learn more about kind of like this conversation that we're having, caring for the vulnerable, those kind of things. Um, people just, I know it's, that's another thing. It's kind of weird of opening up your homes right now. <laughs> um, but just being willing to speak on our behalf and to advocate amongst your circle of influence, um, for what God is doing through 127 worldwide. Um, yeah. And then, like I said, I'll leave my information if there are other ways, but I would say, um, going, giving, educating, advocating are kind of the, the key ways that you can get involved with, with what God's doing here. And how can they give to you right now if they wanted to give? Yeah, the, the website is just 127worldwide.org forward slash give now. And that'll take you to an easy way you can give online. Um, obviously, we have checks. I can put the email <laughs> or the mailing address in, in the show notes too. But that'd be the easiest way through the link online. Awesome. Well, if you're listening to this, I hope that you will get involved. Um, 127 Worldwide, my wife and I have the opportunity to be a monthly supporter um, and it's something that we do not regret, something that we look forward to each month and, pr- and gives us a reason to pray um, and think about 127. So I encourage you to support, listen to Sarah Beth's podcast. Sarah Beth, thank you for your time and yeah. thank you for all you're doing at 127. Thank you. This episode of Christians You Should Know is sponsored by Honest Car Payment. In a world where buying a car is often misleading and dishonoring to God, Honest Car Payment has created a redeeming way to buy and refinance a car. Just listen to Aku and Lynette's story in Hawaii as they interacted with Honest Car Payment. Aloha, I'm Aku, and this is my wife, Lynette, and we're from Kalihi. When we first bought our Nissan Frontier, we thought we had a good deal, but yet we were wrong. Our interest was 24%. We called Honest Car Payment and got a new loan right away. We saved over $18,000. That type of money is going to change our life. If your car payment is too high, don't settle. You have options. Call Honest Car Payment today at 534-1234 or visit honestcarpayment.com. What a pleasure it was to speak with Sarah Beth about 127 Worldwide and how they are making a difference around the world, providing for, ministering to, and advocating on behalf of those less vulnerable and those who are experiencing fatherlessness, both earthly and spiritually. As we talk about this, I am reminded of a beautiful passage from Galatians 4, which demonstrates the love of God through the gospel that not only saves, but provides for us the means by which we are adopted into the family of God. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. The love we have been shown is an incredible work of redemption. It finds us where we are, broken, alone, and in need of a Savior and a Father. Let's allow the words of Scripture, as well as the encouragement of Sarah Beth's words, to poke and prod at our hearts until we are stirred to get involved in ministering to orphans and widows like the Bible commands us to. To end our podcast today, I want to share with you a clip by Russell Moore, president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. I hope you find this as encouraging as I do. Let's listen in. We're people who were brought in. We're people who were received. And we're people who were received not with some sort of begrudging, yeah, you're okay to be here, but you sit over there. All of us joint heirs with Christ. Once we start to get that, and once we start to understand that, that upends all of our expectations that we have for our lives, and then enables us to have the freedom to be able to minister to the vulnerable, to be able to say, having this unwed mother in my home is not taking away my freedom. Adopting this child that God's called me to do into my home isn't taking something away from my life. This ministering to this family as they go through foster care is not an expenditure. Instead, this is all part of what it is that God is doing in this sort of boot camp for the kingdom of God in which he is going to bless me more than what I would bless myself. So the gospel ought to then inform how we care for vulnerable children and caring for vulnerable children ought to consistently be reminding us of the gospel. We're not rescuers. We're not messiahs. We have a Messiah and he's feeling fine. We're instead those who have been received and therefore we receive others consistently reminding ourselves we have this spirit by adoption. I don't know about you, but I find that to be such a powerful and convicting reminder. We aren't sacrificing, we aren't saviors. God is blessing us through enabling us to live out the core of the gospel. When we care for the orphans and widows, we do so because we ourselves are orphans without the gospel of Jesus Christ. But since we have the privilege and promise of the gospel, we don't keep it to ourselves. Just as we are called to love because he first loved us, so should we care for the orphans because we once were an orphan, dead in our trespasses and sins. I was so delighted to speak with Sarah Beth about all these important topics, and I left our conversation feeling both encouraged and challenged. I hope that You'll have a similar response and be re-energized and better equipped to serve and care for the vulnerable individuals and families in your community. Be sure to further explore 127 Worldwide and all that they are accomplishing for the sake of the gospel. Check out Sarah Beth's podcast, which you can find on the 127 Worldwide website. And please consider partnering with this incredible ministry through whatever means you can. I'm Ethan Drum, and this is Christians You Should Know. 